Today's podcast, the Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson on his career and those recruiting days where he committed to Oklahoma and Texas A&M and ended up at SMU and whether or not he wanted Adrian Peterson to break his record. We'll do a little on the SEC's dominance, some final numbers for him. We promise we won't bring it up again until September. QB stock game. Were you dying to know who won? I know I was. And life advice. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. I could spend the next 90 minutes talking maybe just about John Morant, but we did do that a little bit last week. The block, by the way, if the backboard isn't there, I don't know if he's back down on the ground yet. Uh, that was in the Lakers game, and then they beat Golden State last night. Um, really tough team, man. Memphis is playing some great basketball, and they're super intense. It was playoff-level defense, I thought, from them last night. Yes, I know Draymond wasn't there, and Clay's just got back, but whatever. You know, When Johnny did the takeover, he took over that game. And... They are now creeping into what maybe we should start looking at as, as a real contender coming out of the West, which still feels a little premature despite the 10 straight wins. Uh, all right, let's talk about another group that wins, and that's the SEC. National title game, we're on a Wednesday, not on Tuesday after the fact. I picked Georgia. I felt like an idiot for picking Georgia, so I'm not going to do any kind of victory lap um, because I just know how tenuous all this stuff can be. And honestly, if Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt, I think that game could have gone Bama's way on top of everything else, too. So I don't feel like, hey, I nailed it. I felt dumb when I took the pick. I just felt like picking against Bama in this one. I, f- I felt like doing something a little bit different, and I did it, and there you go. Whatever. Okay, so now we have – let's go through some facts here. Uh-oh, is Rosillo going to do an SEC segment? Yep. Three different SEC schools have won titles in three straight years, LSU, Bama, and now Georgia. That's 12 titles in 16 years from five different teams. So you're saying, all right, here we go. You guys are going to do the timeline where you go back 16 years to make the argument. The argument that I'm trying to make is very simple, is that when somebody is telling you that this conference isn't the best, they're lying to you. All right, I did it before on the radio, um, and we're going to go over a bunch of different stuff. Let's start with draft picks. The SEC has had the most draft picks going into the NFL for 15 straight years. Over the last 10 years, the SEC has had 557 draft picks. The second place conference over those same 10 years has had 428. So on average, over the last 10 years, the SEC has put in 13 more draft picks per year than the second place conference. Shout out to the Big Ten and ACC 
who make up those conferences. Yes, I understand that the SEC has 14 teams. So does the Big Ten and so does the ACC. It's not a very good argument, um, even though the Big 12 in 2017, the Big 12 as a conference with 10 teams had 14 players going. 14 players. So now if you're saying, all right, well, you're, you're going over 10 years there. You're doing 15 years with the, the draft, 16 years with the conference. It's actually getting worse. It's getting worse when you compare it. If you go the last three years, the SEC has 20 more picks per year than the number two conference. All right. Let's look at recruiting rankings. We know they have the talent coming out. We also know they have it coming in. I use 24-7. Use whatever you want to use. Last five years. Number of SEC teams with a recruiting class that ranks in the top 10. This past year, four, six, five. 2018, a little down. Only two classes in the top 10. In 2017, back to four classes in the top 10. If you look at where their 10th team, I just landed on 10 and I compared it to the Big 10 because I think the Big 10 is the only conference that has a chance to end this supremacy and to be able to position themselves as the best conference. There have been a couple of years we're going into it. I go, this might be the year. It might be the year. And I do believe that despite this dominance that it is cyclical in sports, think about the Eastern and Western Conference and the NBA and all the changes that we wanted to make. And yeah, it went on for a really long time where the West was far superior to the East. But now look at it. You know, you ride it out for a bit. It feels like it's finally caught up, even though it feels like it took forever. And it may seem impossible to think that another conference is going to catch up to the SEC. But I think the Big Ten, it's a possibility. All right. So if you look at where the 10th placed class ranked in the SEC and where you compare that to where they rank nationally, let's go this way. The 10th place team in 2021 for the SEC recruiting wise was 26th and 28th, 23rd, 32nd, 27th. If you go over the same period of time, and look at the Big Ten's 10th ranked team, because we're also talking about depth and not just the top. The Big Ten is ranked 46th, 44th, 45th, 50th, and 46th. Shout out to Michigan State, Minnesota, and Illinois, and also a little side shout out for Maryland. You won't believe this, but if you go back, unless you're a real locked-in Terp, Maryland has some pretty high recruiting rankings for football classes. I was, I was kind of surprised when I look back at that. All right, but what about the Bulls, Rosillo? You're right. Sometimes the SEC doesn't do well in the Bulls. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look. And this past season, the SEC went 6-8 and eight in Bulls. Granted, that last loss, kind of a big one, title game. Uh, big 12 had a good Bowl season, 5-2. and two. We'll get to that in a second. Pac-12, 0-5. In 2020, the SEC went 7-2. Big 10, or excuse me, the Big 12 went 5-0. and oh. So good Big 12 years back-to-back. Uh, the ACC actually went 0-5. It could be 0-6. I don't include Notre Dame. They don't include themselves in the ACC, so let's not do that. So I'm not going to add that to make the make it look even worse for the ACC. 2019, the SEC went 8-2. ACC went 4-7. Big 10 went 4-5. Big 12 went 1-5. The Pac-12 went 4-3. 2018, SEC, down year for them, 506-6. The best winning percentage of any of the major five conferences the Big 12 led the way going four and three. So there's also another thing that seems to happen here is that when the SEC loses a bowl game, it's like, oh, I thought that conference was good. Yeah, you, Texas Tech put it on them, man. Beat the shit out of Mississippi State. I don't know what to tell you. But there are other conferences that in all of the recent years have had disastrous, disastrous bowl seasons, and yet those parts of the country point to when Purdue beats Tennessee. Uh, in 2017, the SEC went five and six. The Big Ten was awesome that year. They went 7-1. and one. The Pac-12 went 1-8. and eight. Now, I could go even deeper if I wanted to on the bowl records, 
If I wanted to do that, I could because we can find some nuance in there. The Big 12 went five and two this year. Well, they also had Baylor beat Ole Miss where Matt Corral gets knocked out of the game and Kansas State's pounding their fucking chest because they beat LSU who had a wide receiver at quarterback. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because we can find holes in all the bowl stuff. But if you look at the collective of the last five years for some down SEC bowl seasons, you've had every other conference with a disastrous bowl season. All right. Here's the other exercise. Do this and be honest with yourself. Run through the Power Five standings. Look at the teams and say, how many teams can you get to before you start laughing about them winning a national championship? The ACC, Clemson, no doubt. Florida State, as bad as it's been. You're not going to sit here and say that it's incapable of that to happen. And then what? Miami, don't you fucking dare. Then who? I'm waiting. Louisville, because they've had a taste. Pittsburgh and Wake because they're ranked this year. NC State, I don't know. Big 12, I think we can get to four. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor. Yeah, I believe Baylor. I guess Iowa State, if you want to include Texas, you can maybe get to five. Gary Patterson in his prime at TCU. Yeah, not impossible. Big 10 has real ones. Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State. Michigan State was in a playoff. Penn State, I think, can be in this. And I really do think if things broke the right way for Wisconsin one year, um, that it, it's not impossible to think of them winning a national championship. And Iowa does recruit well. They've had good records. They've had good teams. Um, but watching, if I were to do another exercise and say, did you watch Michigan and Iowa? Did you watch Georgia and Alabama? Did you think it looked like the same sport? Because I didn't. Pac-12, I'm not even going to bother with it. I'm not going to bother. Hell, the SEC with AM, who was fifth just outside of the playoff two years ago, like a and going to end up in a playoff. They're going to end up in a playoff at some point. I feel very strong about that. That would be six teams for the SEC. So we know that they have the most draft picks. We know that they have the best talent coming in. They know that they win the most championships. Uh, we know that they pay their coaches the most. They put the most resources into their programs. You know, um, when I watch it, it just looks better. There is no other version of this where we would argue, oh, that thing? Yeah, it's not as good, actually. Like, wait, did you hear what that guy just said? Yeah, I did, but actually he's wrong about all that. Why is he wrong? Mm, admission rates they don't play in the cold really that's the reason like well and that's kind of my point is we the reason i bring it up the reason it annoys me so much is because no one would actually look at that resume of facts and go yeah that's not true yeah it's just not those guys because usually the people that are so mad about it are guys that played at other programs in other conferences i don't care i didn't play anywhere I just like telling the truth. And when you start to hear somebody kind of veer into that neighborhood, you know, you're like, hey, sorry, Purdue fucking beat Tennessee, man. But I always wonder what the motivation is behind it. I always wonder why it starts to happen over again and be like, oh, actually, yeah, it's not as good. <laughs> like, okay. Because the person's lying to you and they're honestly lying to themselves. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. 
Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Eric Dickerson is our guest, Hall of Famer. His new book, Watch My Smoke, uh, coming out. And Eric, I'm going to start by this. You may think I'm, I'm kissing up to you a bit but you were my first favorite nfl player and it's funny i think for a younger generation like when we were kids everybody wanted to be the running back in the backyard and now <laughs> now now i don't know if that happens anymore now nah, everybody wants to be the quarterback now but thanks yeah everybody wants to be a quarterback these days <laughs> yeah yeah so look um your relationship with football is, is basically the kind of the premise of the book you know and, and i love kind of the times you're like this is this is where i love it this is where i don't love it and it makes a lot of sense it's your life in football but you have a moment in this book where you share with us for our, for the rest of us mere mortals what it's like to be fast what it's like to run in a stadium <laughs> tell me about what you describe as is the greatest feeling of your life breaking an open field breaking an open field uh it's nothing like it and knowing that that you can you cannot run everyone or at least you think you can and never looking back it's that feeling of uh exhilaration uh it's a it's a quiet moment. I can say, I can think of a couple of times uh, when I think when we played the Dallas Cowboys at home in the playoff game and I had a 62-yard touchdown run. And then my first big run was when we played the uh, New York Jets in 1983, my rookie season. And um, it was, I remember the play was toss left and I remember making a cut and just all of a sudden when I got in the open field, I could hear nothing. I could hear nothing, but <sighs> just see myself breathing. And then when I got to the end zone, that's you know, ah, booze or whatever. But you know, it's just such a great feeling. I, I gotta say, you know, I, that feeling is gone. I can't run like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it's worse having it and and not being able to do it again, or never having it. You know, I, I'd rather have had it. Um, but it's it's kind of that weird thing. It's almost like fame in a way, where if you've never had it, then you don't really know what it's like to have it and then not have it again. But I don't know. I don't know how you process that. You know, that's a great question because my friend just made said, said that to me a couple of months ago. My best friend, when we went to college together, he played fullback. He said, Dick, he said, I don't know what's better. He said, being able to just be as good as you were and then having it or, or not having it and then lose it because you get older. I said, well, you know, I really appreciate it. I mean, I, I appreciate the gift that I had and then losing it because you do say like, man, I can't do that no more. I'm just too old. I mean, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, it's your mind. You think you can still do it. I mean, especially when I was like in my late 30s and 40s, I thought I could still do certain things. And I couldn't like, like 
Like, got you try to run somebody young up, oh, that hamstring, oh, wait a minute, I can't do that no more. I can't take that. I don't have that, that twitch, not that fast twitch muscle. But I would still say I just, I'd rather have it, just, just lose it because it's nothing like having it. I can tell you it's nothing like it. Yeah. And by the way, the people saying that it's better to not have it, people that never had it. So I, you're right. Exactly. You're right, by the way. Um, it's just, it's always one of those things that I've thought about. Uh, let us know more about Sealy, Texas, where you grew up, what that was like for you, that experience. Um, you know, it's a small town, right outside of Houston. Back then, you got to think it was 1970s. Um, and I was born in 60, but it was the 70s playing football. Um, you know, segregation, it was segregation where I grew up. You know, blacks, blacks live on one side, whites live on the other side of town. But we know we knew all the white kids. We we knew them all. It was it wasn't it wasn't a thing about like race. Really, it wasn't. And that, I think that's the great part about being in that small town. I can say, I can remember one time our principal, because uh, you know some of the black guys or some of them, like white they the white girls, the white girls were dating the black guys, and black girls dating the white guys, and the principal kind of had a problem with it, and brought some of the parents in, some of the white parents. And I'll never forget this. It was it was just an amazing moment. That was like 1970s, where the parents were like, you can't tell our kids who to like and who not to like. And because the kids, that's how the kids felt. And that was that just goes to show that in some places, it really doesn't make a difference. It's just about the person, the people. And, you know, my town wasn't the perfect town, but, you know, I'll say this much. It was a perfect town for me. And I'm glad I grew up in a small town, uh, still have that small town mentality. And I still have a house back in, in my hometown of see that with my mom when she was alive. So I still go back. You start making a name for yourself, you know, and I think like a lot of, a lot of people, like in the beginning of the greatness, it's like, wait, I'm that good. I'm, I'm this big of a deal. And I, I watched all the documentaries and all the recruiting and stuff. But before we get to some of the media parts of it, what was that like for you in the beginning when now all of a sudden you go from, Hey, I'm fast. I'm scoring some touchdowns to wait, holy shit. Like I'm, I'm the guy. Everybody's trying to get me. Well, you know, I didn't even really realize that until in the book it talks about a guy named James Abernathy, called him Shaq. He lived in a town called Brookshire, which is 12 miles away. He was a big football fan, just a big sports fan. And I'd quit football. I'd quit uh, my, it was my sophomore year, I'd quit playing. And he came over to my house, because, and, and I always liked Shaq. Everybody in town liked Shaq. Even though he's from the rival town, he came over and, and uh, I said, hey, what's up, Shaq? He said, hey, how you doing? Talking to my mom. He said, Mr. Dickens, do you mind, you mind if I take Eric and talk to him for a minute? He said, sure, take him and talk to him. So I got in the car with him. He said, Eric, how you doing? I said, man, I'm good. He said, man, I heard you quit football. I said, yeah, man, that man is he's racist. And I said, you know, all of Your coach. Your, yeah, your my, coach my, Harris, right? Yeah, my, yeah, my host, Coach Harris. All, all the black players are quit except one guy. And uh, so he said, is he doing he talk some more? He said, Eric, let me ask you a question, man. What do you see in this town? I said, nothing. He said, Eric, exactly. It's nothing here. He said, let me tell you something, son. And it's this, I still remember him saying this to me. He said, you're a sophomore. You're 16 years old. But Eric, you're one of the best athletes we've ever seen in these parts. And I'm like, you know, you know, it didn't. I'm like, he, I think he's just talking. Like, really? He said, "I'm telling you." He said, "You have a gift." He said, "You really should go back and play football." He said, "I'm not saying it's your way out, but it could be your way out of here." He said, "I don't want to see you wasted." He said, "If you don't want to play the sea, he said, "Come over down, come on, folks, we'd love to have you there." So when I went back home, my mom asked me, "What did he say?" And I told her exactly what he said. And I remember, I won't forget her her reply. She says, "Eric, I don't like football." She says, "It's a it's a it's a very rough sport." But I don't want to see you quit anything. But if you want to go play in another town, you know, I'll take you over to see. I'm going to go you to play. At that point, you know, I thought about it. And then some of the some of the, my, my best friends at the time, Gary Hill, he called me and said, hey, man, has is, is, is Rap Harris been to your house? I said, no. He said, he's on his way over. 
So he came by my house and he'd been talking with all the black kids. I was talking to each one of us individually about coming back. Um, I told him, I'll think about it. We all got together, all of us kids. It's funny how you know, all, of us, all of us got together and we talked and said, man, let's just go back and play in spite of him. And uh, that was kind of the start of it, really, I got to say. I mean, and I'll say this much. It wasn't a feel-good story with my, with my high school coach. It didn't turn out great, but we won a state championship my senior year. And I think it was around my junior and senior year when I started seeing it. I didn't say I think I, I didn't think, you know, I'm going to be a great college player, pro player. But I knew I was better than a lot of kids that I'd seen in my area. I was fast. I was big. And my senior year, man, it was like, it was almost like my senior year in college. It was like, I feel like a, a man playing with kids at times. I mean, that's just how, you know, I got to say, that's that's the gift that God gave me. It was that exceptional. And 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 I just, I just, I, I loved it. So you've got, and from the book, you know, Harris, your coach in high school, um, is trying to get you to go to Texas, which makes you wonder, okay, he's really pushing Texas. And then you get A&M saying, well, look, if you're going to, you know, this part of the state, you got to go to A&M. <laughs> and then, then you get SMU that doesn't really have much of a history. Uh, and then you wanted to go to Oklahoma on top of everything else. Had all so, the history. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's start with that. How much did you love Switzer? Oh, loved it to death, man. I just wanted to go there so bad. I'll never forget when he came to my state championship game. Came to my house, you know, recruited him and uh, Rex Norris was the other guy. Rex Norris, Coach Rex Norris came. We don't know how I remember Rex's name, but I was excited that they came. And um, my, my my great aunt who raised me uh, while I was adopted, she uh, she didn't listen to us. She wasn't saying much. And I, I committed. And they showed me, you know, a highlight tape. I think they won the Orange Bowl. And I'm like, I'm coming. And, and, and you know, she didn't say much. And they walked out. I'll never forget. When they walked out, she said, you're not going to school there. I'm like, Mama. Nope, that man's a liar, Eric. I don't trust him. I'm like, Mama, nope, Eric, you ain't going there. She said, first of all, you a Texas boy. Why do you want to go to Oklahoma? <laughs> I never get that part of it. So I'm like, oh, I, so, you know, I, it, it broke my heart. It really broke my heart. And, you know, the thing about Ralph Harrison, he wanted to go to me to Texas. Was, I found out later that if I went to Texas, he would get to be, be a coach there, supposedly. And, you know, I give, I give, him, I give him this much credit. Do I would? bad relationship and it was bad not just mine but you know to all, pretty much all of us uh he called me a guy called me about three years ago and he Ralph, he just passed away uh last year uh a guy called me um he said hey eric i said what's up dana I said good man he said man i got a, a guy on the phone want to holler at you i'm like okay i picked and put me on put him on the phone and it was Ralph harris i'll never forget the feeling he said hey eric my heart started beating fast all over it's like i was like i was that high school kid again and I'm going to tell you, I tell all young kids, this and coaches, you can have a real good impact or a bad impact on a player, a kid. And, and they never forget. Maybe we don't know. We never forget. And so when he said, hey, Eric, I, I, said, I said, how's it going, Ralph? He said, Eric, it's good. I said, good, man. And I said, what can I do for you? He said, Eric, I just want to say, I've seen all the stuff you've done. He said, man, you had an amazing NFL career, college career. I said, I want to say congratulations. And I'll never forget. He said, Eric, I just want to say I'm sorry. I want to apologize to you and all the players of how I treated you guys. And, you know, when you're a young kid, you think that, you know, kids, you know, you think I might have been wrong as you get later. Like, maybe I was, you know, overstepping my boundary. Maybe I was, but I said, and that, and that, that made it right. I'm like, okay, I wasn't wrong. I knew he was treating us like this. And he apologized. And, you know, I think that meant a lot to me. But talking about A&M, A&M was a, Sealy's an Aggie town. I mean, it was Aggie. It was, it was hard to get out of there. It was Aggie town. Uh, one of our biggest supporters was was right there uh, in Seagley. And, um, you know, I, I, 
I didn't want to go to AM for two reasons. I know it sounds it sounds funny now, but you know, being a kid in 17, 18 years old is different. I didn't like their uniforms. I didn't like that that guy with the big chin. I didn't, I just didn't like it on the helmet. And I didn't like the yell leader thing. I, I wanted some cheerleaders. <laughs> and I said that sounds I know think about it. I was 18 years old thinking I said I want some cheerleaders. And so I just couldn't go to AM. But I mean so, you know what? So the speaker. guys the guys in overalls, it just wasn't going to close. It just wasn't cut wasn't, wasn't cut for me. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> All right. So, and I know you've been asked about it a million times. You, you even, it's funny, your words come off as annoyed in your own book about the Trans Am, which became known as the Trans A&M. Um, because the SMU part of it, it's like, oh man, these guys must have been cashing in, must have been cashing in. The weird thing about the car is that they basically had, what, your grandmother pay for it and then that they would reimburse her, which actually... Again, correct anything that I have wrong here. That sounds a little dangerous, especially considering you you committed sort of A and M, but you were like, I don't really want to go there either. You didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if grandma got stuck with that bill or what. But no, no, grandma didn't get stuck with the bill. Yeah, my, my see, my grandmother and my grandfather lived in Houston. That was my real grandparents, and 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 they my, they could afford a car. They could, they always got a new Cadillac every couple of years. That was their thing. She got a new Cadillac. So when when the car came about. Uh, I won't forget they met us at, at uh, Leo Jonigan, Leo Jonigan, uh, Chevrolet, or what is it, Pony Pontiac, and uh, talking about the car. And, and, and it was all involved. So he said, the guy went in, came back out. Our paper was signed. They made a couple of calls, and, and my grandmother was there. And and I never knew what happened because I, I never really asked. And I asked one day, she said, don't you worry about that. You ain't never got to worry about it. And you ain't gonna get no trouble for that. So years later, I found out. I, I think I found out. Really, I was in the pros when I found out. I finally talked to him about it again. Sarah said, "We paid for that car, and they gave us. We paid for it with a check. With, with a check, we paid for it. We wrote a check for it, and and they paid us the money back. You know, they gave they gave us the money back. And so that's how the car. That's how the car came about. And and I'm like you said, I get man. People think I got all this money to go to SMU, and I got really nothing. I mean, you know. I, that school was chosen, really, I got to say, by my mother, Viola Dickerson, because she felt this. She said, Eric, you're a Texas boy. She loved Ron Meyer. And she said, look, you need to go to a school where you can be like the first. You can start something. They'll be talking about you forever. You see that Oklahoma, USC, they got their guys. Texas, they got their guys. She said, you could be that guy. You're that guy, Craig James. And I got to say, man, she was right. She was right on both parts. I mean, really. Yeah, that's still that's still crazy because I mean we always I remember I remember being a kid and hearing about it after the fact you know I mean SMU and the death penalty and all this different stuff and then you know the documentary comes out and you're like oh those guys must have been crushing and it's like no you got you ended up getting more from A and M it sounds like by not going there and by the way credit to you for being a high school kid going I don't want just the black Trans Am I want the gold one I want the gold Trans Am that was one I went with the gold Trans Am with the big eagle on the with the T-tops. I had to have it. Have you ever thought about buying it again? Man, I saw I saw one uh, on uh, one of those car shows. Yeah. And you know what that car went for? That, I, I, that car cost $14,500. That's what it cost back in 1979. That car went for $114,000. I'm like, it's no way in the hell I spent $100,000 on Trans Am. No. <laughs> so, No. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's going to give give you one now. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you go through SMU. I, I do want to transition a little bit into the pros. You go number two in the draft behind John Elway. Uh, what what was your understanding about all the different stuff, all the different pieces moving and trying to figure out where you were actually going to start your pro career? Uh, 
you know, really, I didn't really have an idea that about the pros until probably in the middle of my senior year. You know, people, you know, they really, man, you're going you're gonna to be a number one, you can be a number one pick. One of my, 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 matter of fact, my good friend Harvey Armstrong, who I recruited me to SMU, he was at the Eagles. And they came to town to play the Cowboys. And uh, he had an apartment there. He said, I want you to come on, I want you to meet uh, Wilbur Montgomery. I'm like, oh, cool, I'd like to meet Wilbur Montgomery. So when I go over and I meet Wilbur, and I'm like, man, he's small. I'm like, see, if he play, I can play. I'm thinking in my mind, he can play, I can play pro football. And so he says, Eric, he said, man, they've been talking about you. The Eagles asked me about you, uh, how big you are, how fast you are. I'm like, really? And so he said, they're talking about draft. We're talking about drafting you, going to get drafted. Because uh, it was not like it is now. I mean, it's really nothing. People don't understand. It's just, you, know, you don't have, like, it, you know, you all pretty much know, you know, your junior year, all the senior year, you're going to get drafted. So um, I said, really? Say, I said, so you're talking about the first round draft. Like, I never get, I said, well, what do they make? He said, they make a lot of money. I'm like, really? He said, yeah. So at that point, then that's when, you know, the stuff started, you know, people started talking to agents and all that kind of stuff. Because Ron Meyer was gone. If Ron would have been there, I think I'd have been, I'd have had more in the loop. I'd have been more for sure. Because Bobby Kosnack, they didn't, they, that job was really over their head, to be honest. <laughs> but So uh, that's when I started finding out more. And, and it really didn't matter because I had a couple of teams come out and run back. I had a run of 40 for the Rams, I think the Cowboys, and I think the Redskins run a 40 for them. And I ran, I forget, I ran a 4-3-1 and 4-3 flat. And my best friend was there. And he was down there because he was going. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and, and I go and talk to him he said man they, they said they can't believe it he, he, he said he's too big to be that fast is your, is your clock right because <laughs> you know I was 6'3 225 um, and so basically when I started hearing about the draft and the Rams might draft me and I, I talked to the Rams and as a matter of fact the night before the draft they called me and uh, a guy called me I forgot I think it was Jack Fogler uh, Eric Dickerson I said, I said yes he said, this is Jack Fogler from the Rams they want to let you know we're going to pick draft you in the morning we made a trade with Houston. So we have a ticket for you at the airport. You know, I said, 10 o'clock flight to be at LA. Somebody pick you up at LAX. And that's how, that's how I knew I was going to be with the Rams, pretty much. And then the car, we get in the car, we drive to the airport. Me and my best friend, Charles Drake, drive to the car, right to the airport. And on the radio, you know, they took Johnny away first. And then he said, the Rams make a quick pick. Eric Dickerson from Southern Methodist University. And that's how I knew I got drafted by the Rams. You'd gone out to visit USC, and you say in the book, L.A. wasn't for you at the time. It appears that L.A. was definitely something you were far more into as a pro athlete. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> for sure. No <laughs> doubt about that. As, as a young kid coming out of CBI, I wouldn't have been to L.A. I mean, I, I really would not have been. I mean, I would have been so homesick. I was homesick in Dallas, and it was only 250 miles from Sydney. So imagine being 1,500 miles from home. So when I got to L.A., um, I won't forget the guy picked me up, and we hadn't. I'm thinking we're going to the facility right there in LA. We drive and I'm like, I'm like, LA behind us. I'm like, I say, hey, isn't that Los Angeles behind us? He said, yeah. He said, we're in Orange County. I'm like, what is Orange County? And I had no clue. He said, oh, we're outside of LA. I'm like, oh, okay. So when I got, got to Orange County, it was, it was different. I mean, it was almost like being in a small town again because driving down the four fire freeway, you see all these pretty much orange grove, this orange trees. I'm like, wow, you get close to Orange County. I'm like, wow, this is like the country, not not the city. Um, and I didn't really like living in Orange County. I lived in Orange County a little bit. I bought a, I bought a, an apartment my first year, then bought a condo because I was building my mother a house and bought a, a condo. And then I wanted to move out. I wanted to move back. Then I wanted to come back to the city because I'd go to the city to go out. I mean, I would go from, think about it, I'd drive, we'd drive 50 miles to go out to the clubs and come back, come back home just to be in L.A. 
Because it was a, LA was way different than Orange County. I mean, the girls were different, the clubs were different, you know, and you know, you saw more people of color, you know. So most definitely I just wanted to be in LA. And when I got to got to got to got the feel of it, um, you know, and, and my first superstar that I met was Magic Johnson. I, I won't forget that. We, we met him at Venice Beach. We were out there being a couple of rookies from the training camp. We were out on the beach and I saw I saw a uh uh, a, a yellow Rolls Royce. It had magic on the plates. I'm like, man, this is Magic Johnson's car. And sure enough, we saw him on the beach. I'm like, man, so we walked over to him, introduced ourselves, and said, I know you are your first round draft pick. I said, yes, sir. Uh, you know, he said, you know, you're a great player, blah, blah, blah. I said, I'm not a big fan. And I'll never forget when I walked out, I said, I want to be like Magic. You know, I want to be known in LA. And so, you know, that was, that's how, that was the start of my LA experience. So what was it like? They take us through it. Man, the eighties were just great. I just gotta say, man. I know it sounds sound like like saying the eighteen hundreds were just great. <laughs> man, it was just it was it was you know for a thing about twenty two years old young kid coming out of Sealy, the girls, the clubs, you know, you know, just being sex. I mean, it was I I wouldn't have tried to do drugs. I mean, I saw drugs, but for I've never seen I never seen like cocaine till I got to LA. I, I never seen it, um, but. I went to drug, I had to do drugs and just the parties and, you know, people knowing you. And that wasn't a big deal, but just. It well, was what just was fun. like, you know, you're, you know, you've, you've had a couple of years and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. I mm-hmm. mean, you set the rookie record, you set the record record, and you've got this look. I mean, I remember waiting, you know, kids don't even understand. I had to wait six to eight weeks for that stupid poster of you <laughs> with <laughs> the back of the Sports Illustrated. I was like, I want that one, you know, and you had the look. Yeah, the Jerry Curl and the whole thing. And, you know, again, you're fucking huge for running back. I I just, I mean, what was it like to be Eric Dickerson in in Los Uh, Angeles at that age? Man, it it was, I can say it was great. I I can't put it in any other words. I won't forget, I went to a, uh, I went to a Lakers game. I was doctor, Dr. Curlin was, I was doctor, he was a Lakers doctor. And he asked, Eric, you want to go to a Lakers game? I said, sure. And I understood the player said, man, Dr. Curlin sits on the floor. And I didn't know what the floor was. I'm like, he sits right on the floor, like on the, on the heart. I'm like, really? So I go to the game with Dr. Curlin and uh, we sit on the floor. And uh, Magic comes over and introduces himself and, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I mean, Byron Scott. I'm like, I'm like, wow. And then they announced my name on the PA. And they gave me a standing ovation. I'm like, oh, my God. I was, I was embarrassed. But I'm like, damn, this is this is L.A. Uh, and I'll never forget, I went to, a, it, was a, it was a restaurant, I even mean, just by the a restaurant I used to go to called Nikki Blair's. And uh, there I used to go there pretty much every Friday night if we were at home. And I was, I was in Orange County driving from Orange County to LA. I look over and I see Clint Eastwood. I'm like, that's Clint Eastwood. And I said, Nikki, man, is that Clint Eastwood? He said, yeah, Eric, he said, he'd like to meet you. I said, no, I don't want to. He said, no, come over. And I was so nervous, I get up and walk over. And as I walk over, he says, hey, Eric. And I said, how you doing, Mr. Eastwood? I said, I'm good. He said, I'm a big fan. I said, me too. And that it was that's just how, I mean, L.A. was just L.A. I mean, seriously. And, and me being, a, I guess, I could say a superstar, a well-known athlete, I mean, I could pretty much go and like, not do anything, just go anywhere I wanted to go. And people knew me. Yeah, that's a really interesting time because it feels like, you know, the reason people loved L.A. is that they took care of the stars. You know, they really did. They really, right. did. They really did back then. Really did. Seriously, I gotta say, you were treated like a star, and and it, it made it, it was just it was different. I don't know. I can't. I guess I can say it was different, but it really was. You just felt like you were part of the city. The city was a part of you. You loved everything about it. I mean, I can remember waking up and because you know I think I'm from Flat Texas. 
we got to see in the mountains, you know, and sometimes you can see the snow on the mountains. It was just, it was almost like like living in a, in a dream. And, and I'll say this much here. To me, still, it's almost like living in a dream because I still live out there. I still think about, man, I'm from Sydney, Texas. Five seasons in, you get traded to the Colts. I'll I'll never forget what I remember being like. Wait, what? Like he's gonna <laughs> what, what happened? And back then, like you couldn't get information. You know, you just exactly. get at home. Exactly. Like how? Yeah. What happened? Why do you? How do you trade <laughs> Eric Dickerson? This doesn't make any sense. Uh, what was what was the lead up to that? I know it was a contract thing, but take us through that and and how you felt. The, the whole the whole deal was a contract dispute. I mean, honestly, I was getting paid nothing, and people thought like I'm making all this money. I'm I'm like. You know, they call me at these the Eric the Ingrate and all that kind of stuff, the malcontent. I love playing with the Rams. I mean, I wanted to play my whole career with the Rams. I, I love them. The thing I, I won't never forget, I want I said, I want to play with the Rams because I used to love that. Once again, the uniforms. I love that horn. I'm like, that horn just looks so cool on the helmet. I thought about that in college. That's a cool looking uniform. Um, you know, it was a it was it was a bad deal because you know, we had no free agency, players had no rights. And my contract wasn't a good contract. I mean, it wasn't even for back in those standards. I mean, I had a, I don't know if had a four-year deal of $2.2 million, a $600,000 signing bonus as a rookie. And my base was one fifty, and And basically, and my, my, my signing bonus was a, it was a loan. It wasn't even a signing bonus. I had to pay it back to him, to, to the team. If I, you know, and I, I didn't, my, my agent said, well, look, they'll probably end up giving the loan, but we're going we gonna to sign it anyway. And so, you know, I was a young kid. I, I signed the contract, and um, it wasn't a good contract. I mean, I, my, my first year, I went for 1,800 yards. I had, I think, a 150. The next year, I went for 2,000 yards. I was making 175. And I just wanted, I, I just told him, I said, just pay me. I, I mean, I was trying, I said, pay me fair. I said, I want to make what the, what the quarterbacks make. Like, Elway was making a million five. I said, maybe close to that kind of million dollars. They were like, no, we're not going to redo your contract. You know, you're in a contract. And, so it just got worse and worse. And then finally, I went to one of the last meetings I had with John Shaw. I went down to his office, and, and John Shaw was the general manager. And he, John had that real nasally voice. Oh, well, you know, how's it going, Eric? And, I, you know, and, and I'm trying to set up a meeting. I mean, it took me forever to get a meeting. I mean, it really did. So I finally got a meeting with him. And um, I said, John, I said, man, I said, my contract isn't fair. I said, I'm not playing this contract. Well, Eric, you're selling the contract. And, I said, I, I, I proposed this to him. I said, I'll tell you what, John. I said, I am so confident in my ability and our offensive line that if I have, say, 1,500 yards or more, you paid me, like the quarterback, like a million five, million four. I said, I'll just go year by year. And I think about that. Not 1,000 yards. I said 1,500 yards. Did you know how hard it is to get 1,500 yards? <laughs> and his reply was, no, we're not going to do that. And I'm like, well, this thing, this thing don't work, and it just, um, it just started unraveling. It just got worse, you know. You know, and I was really just disappointed, pissed at the team, not my my players, but at the organization, you know, at the, the front office. But I'll say this much here, you know, I never stopped playing hard for them. You know, it was times when I was pissed, but I, I would never, I would never slack on not play hard for them, you know. And and after a while, it just broke down, and you know, I, that's when. Um, I think we had an interview, and uh, one of the guys, one of the reporters asked me something about John Robinson. I said, hey, John Robinson make more money than me. Let him run 47 gap. And so that <laughs> stuff just started just really unraveling. So, it I was bad. It, it, was, bad. it was unbelievable. Like, yeah. I remember, you know, again, just being a kid, 
like in like in my NFL Sundays and trying to figure out, you know, and then you'd you'd be whatever little league game or something and a dad would be like, Oh, that fucking <laughs> fucking Dickerson. And you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. very it, it's a lot like some of the angst that people have towards NBA guys, where I don't think like everybody should be able to do whatever they want all the time, but the the reaction is lessened, right? We've become more desensitized to players asking for doing stuff. But for when it happened to you, the acceptance of how much everybody dumped on you and the media and just, you know, it was bad, man. It was unbelievable. Oh, it, it, it was terrible. I mean, you gotta understand, I was made out to be a bad, bad guy. I mean, I was a, I was a, I was not a team player. Players didn't like me. I was an ingrate. I was a malcontent. And and the thing, but I think the thing I think that really hurt me the most was is that my mother would read that and she said, "That's not you." She said, "I raised you better than that." She said, "She said they're making stuff up on you, and I don't like it." And I and I knew it. I mean, that, that's just how the sports writers were. I mean, if somebody wrote something in the paper back then, oh, it's got to be true. They wrote it. It can't. It can't be. It cannot be true. And you know, the players had no. We had no outlet. We had no nobody to go to. Like that's why, in a sense, Jim Gray became a good friend of mine because anything I would tell Jim, it would he would write it just like I said it, and that made it that that, that was fair. I mean, just like I said it. I don't forget I did an interview with a guy, and um, at, at the interview he, he said some of the things I said, and then he had a quotation. But this is what he really means, and he wrote this article, and I'm like. Wow. So I'm like, he's a mind reader now. So this is what I really so yeah, it just got bad. And and it was it was a point where I mean I just kind of just shut down with the media. I didn't really like the media and trust the media anyway. At that point, it just got like, hell no, I can't trust any of these guys. And then I think that's where the book shifts into the relationship with football that, you know, isn't as pure. You know, because I I'd imagine, you know, at that point, yes, we all understand it's a business, but between the indie stop and then you know, the last couple of other stops and getting traded towards the end. Like, how different was the LA experience as opposed to the second half of your career? Oh, it was way different. I mean, honestly, you know, when I left LA, I was I was hurt. I didn't I didn't really want to leave LA. You know, but you had to put on the face like you don't care because that's what you taught you if you're a football player. It's like you don't go back and say, Man, I'm hurt, you know, I'm hurt and I can't play, you know, unless you really hurt, like you gotta be injured. Um and that's when I saw that it was a, a ugly business. I mean, I talk about it in the book, the other players, because I mean, like I said, at one point, I've just played for free. If somebody just paid all my bills, I just loved it that much. And guys said, guys would tell me, older guys said, look, man, this is a business. He said, you'll find out this is a real ugly business and it's not always fair. And it wasn't because the thing in, the, in LA at the Rams is, their thing was, John Shaw had a saying, football players are like horses. You open the gate and they'll run. And that was pretty much true about a player, pretty much any player. You get out there, you can't let your team lay down next to you because you got a job to do. You don't want to get him hurt. You don't want to get you hurt. So you that's how I felt, you know, playing playing football. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to play hard all the time, even if I'm happy, unhappy. And and it was, man, it was times where I was just really, really pissed. But, you know, and, and my love for the game, it started to dwindle. I love, I love sometimes, love Sundays. But I didn't just love it like I used to. And, and it, would, it would break my heart. Because, I mean, when I say I loved it, I mean, I loved everything about it. I mean, I, it, was, it had a smell. You know, like, I used to love practice. You know I mean, because I had some of my best moves in practice. Some of my best, I just practice working on your moves and stuff. But after a while, you're just like, this is just an ugly business. I think I know the answer to this. I don't, I don't know if I've asked you this before. Um, but I think I know it after reading the book. You have the all-time record still 
2,105 yards. I know that you're most proud of the rookie record, which is a really important thing to put out. Like, we'd look at a lot of these records, passing records, they're all gone because everybody just throws it a million times. And yeah. the, the byproduct of that is these records maybe never been safer for you. <laughs> <laughs> Were you rooting for Adrian Peterson or hoping he didn't break your record? <laughs> ah, that's a good question. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I didn't want to break my record. I told him that. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, I, I called him after the game. And uh, I said, hey, P, I said, man, great season. I said, great game. He said, he said, man. first of all, let me go back. I talked Kevin Green, my, my friend Kevin Green passed on. Uh, uh, he was a, he was, he was the coach. He was playing, I think, Green Bay, I think when he, when he, got, when he got close to the record. Green Bay, I think it was Green Bay. I think it was Green Bay. And, and Kevin I got was, it for you. you. I got it for you here. Um, Who's the last game he played? Right. So he had, he had, he went for 212 in week 14 against St. Louis. All right. Okay, right. So this is just so, so everybody can play along here. Um, it's a 2012 season for Adrian Peterson. And by the way, I think this is like the last season we've ever had a running back completely carry a football team um, because what they did and that team actually making the playoffs and Ponder was the quarter. Like that was an unbelievable season by him. All right. So he goes for 212 in week 15 mm-hmm. at St. Louis. And then at Houston, he only gets 86 yards. So he needs. <laughs> He goes at he, he they play Green Bay and it's 37 34. He goes That's for 199 and he falls uh nine yard, like, nine yard short, basically. Yeah, it's uh yeah, nine yard shorts, nine, nine yard yard nine, short nine, breaking it. Nine yard short, right. So so I talked to my friend Kevin Green before he called me. He said, Eric, he said, Man, let me tell you something. He's not gonna he not I'm telling you, <laughs> we gonna stop him. He said, We're gonna stop him. I'm making sure I'm talking to this defense. So I said, Kevin, no problem, man. Because I, I know I can't. Kevin's an amped up guy. You know, he's like, oh, ain't no way in the hell he's going to have no 200 yards on that. So after the game, Kevin called me. Kevin said, man, these bunch of bitches. <laughs> he said, these bunch of losers over here. Boy. I'm like, Kevin, something. He said, Eric, I'm sorry. I said, I said, Kevin, he didn't break the record. He said, everybody came too close. I said, I said, Kevin, it's, it's no big deal. But was I pulling for him? No, I wasn't pulling for him to break my record. I called him after the game. I said, hey, AP, say, man, hey, good. I said, how's it going? I said, good. I said, man, great season. I said, um, let me ask you a question, man. I said, don't you have a record? I said, most yards in a game. He said, yeah. I said, what is it? I said, 290. I said, let me ask you this. You want anybody to break that record? He started laughing. He said, no. I said, exactly. I said, I said, I don't want you to break mine. He said, I know it. So we, we laughed about it. Yeah, I wouldn't. Good for you. I, I actually hate when people lie about it. Like, oh, no, that's Thank great. You. I have so, so much support. No way. You, you hope no one. And by the way, if he had broken that then, then he would have had it. Because I don't know if anybody's breaking that anymore. Now, the extra game and all this stuff, which I think is, I, you know, I, I don't like what it does. Some of the records, some of the stuff's easy to figure out. But yeah, yeah, like nobody, nobody should want. I hate when guys say like, oh, I hope my record gets broken. Because deep down, they don't. There's no way. There's no one that's ever been competitive would want their records to be broken. No, you don't want to take because they asked me about um, Derrick Henry uh, this, the last year and this year. I said, look, no, I don't want to break my record. I said, but if this guy can break it, it says Derrick Henry. And I said, one thing is, I said, I never want to see a guy get hurt. I said, I'd really see him break a record and get hurt because I'm, I'm a yeah. running back. I know how football is. I know how rough that sport is. I said, I don't love a record that much for sure. But do I want the record broke? No, you want to look, you want to hang on to these records as long as you can. I mean, I always say a person that wants a record broke, they don't have a record. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Henry did get close there just last year. Twenty, yeah. 
2027 uh, with that extra game, if he had had that kind of year, then he would have gotten seen. That's where the extra game thing is going to bother me. It's kind of like some of the Barry Sanders stuff where Barry Sanders seasons don't count because he just didn't play in as many games and they wouldn't count the bowl game result. And now they count it on top of all the other stuff. So I don't know. Protect the running back records is my entire point. I guess. Uh, Thank you, Eric. I appreciate this. Watch my smoke. The book is out. And uh, the great Eric Dickerson. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, that means real experts are checking your sneakers, every stitch, down to the sole. They'll even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Buy. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Buy so great. And it's actually pretty simple. Buy has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Buy Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Buy. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Buy and discover all of the exotic bold flavors at drinkbuy.com. Do we have a little ticker sound effect that we bring into this? Because the QB stock game is over. The first season in the books for this podcast. Uh, Kyle, where are we on sound effect budget? Uh, dude, I'll I'll steal anything off of YouTube. Just tell me what you want. <laughs> give us a little. Give us a little something. We'll okay. know about it after the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will be, be a surprise to all of us. You'll be hearing it as we hear it, or likely me never hear it. So going into the last quarter, Q4 of the QB stock game, uh, Saruti had been just dominating off a Darnold position that was extremely valuable. And then I can't <laughs> believe it. Saruti called me last night. I ended up winning. You did. Uh, what, we're 12 days into 2022, and this is, this is a bummer for me. I was mad. I was really upset because Kyle was like, yesterday we were talking about it. It was before I did the math. And he was like, ah, whatever. We'll just, you know, you win. We'll just move on. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. It's fine. And then I called you yesterday because like, did you, I was like, did you really buy over a thousand shares of Jared Goff? Because because if so, you're going to get the dub. And you know what sucks is the, the reason that you won this is because the fucking Lions beat the Packers in week 18. That is the reason that you won. So congratulations. I finished second. Yeah, Q1, everybody kind of strong out of the gates. Kyle increased his thousand dollar position um, to, to 1600. I almost doubled my money. But Saruti tripled his money in the first quarter and he made i mean what did you do you made like 1600 on darnold in the first quarter correct and then i only made about 600 dollars after that which is which is probably <laughs> the what the reason that i lost <laughs> yeah i actually Q- had a really great for- q4 i made 600 bucks i russell wilson stock went up i made like oh what did i make a couple hundred bucks there i made a couple hundred bucks on Mahomes, a couple hundred bucks on josh allen but you made over two grand on jared goff because the stock price went from 31 cents to two dollars and 15 cents so I don't know, doing the math in my head, that's at least, what, five, six, seven times, eight times, eight times over, and you had a 1,000 shares. So there you go. Congrats. You bought the penny stock. It was the lowest stock in Q3, 
and it rose to over two dollars a share. This was AMC when all those nerds got on Reddit. Correct. That's what it was because it wasn't even AMC. Year. It wasn't even AMC. AMC was like this was sounds like a couple of pharmaceutical companies that I've owned. Um, this uh, I'm just trying to see steady quarters. We all had one bad quarter. It looks like Surudi, were you ever negative? I yeah, was negative negatives. in the second quarter. Yeah, but not much. But I re- I just didn't make a ton of money uh, after I, I made my huge. I basically was that guy in Silicon Valley who sold like his startup and then didn't really do anything the rest of his career. So I just, you know, I guess I had a nice start and then I couldn't I couldn't finish. Yeah. Alarming lack of activity. Q2, Q3 for you. But I had a bad I lost 170 bucks. Kyle lost two bucks in Q3. Low risk. That's Kyle. Like we might lose, but we're not going to lose your shirt. That would be what do you got? You got a filter going on today? Mm. Yeah, dude, I've been doing a filter every time. They just haven't been as egregious. I actually I've got one I'm saving for when I'm really I really want to freak out. It's not going to be this one, though. What? I don't even know what it is. It's like a bar, but I can't. read. It says the loading. It says loading. OK, get it. So you're about early. You're about two thirds the way there. Yeah. yeah. Checks out. You tired today, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Late one. No, I'm, I'm quarantining at my house, so not really. Oh. But. I heard there was a new thing where you were allowed to quarantine at the one dive bar that you, if, if you <laughs> average five nights a week there over a 60 day period, they're like, this counts as quarantine. Somebody should open a COVID bar where just like everyone who has COVID should just, could just go and still hang out socially because you're not going to infect anybody dude. else. Fucking genius. The best would be dudes without COVID trying to get in there. to be <laughs> It's like the hot new spot. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, it sucks. I have a vaccination card. Well, just don't show it to me. Oh, wait, what? All right. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Life advice rr at gmail.com. Life advice rr at gmail.com got a lot to get to here i gotta do a better job of filtering through kyle's submissions okay six three two thirty former d3 basketball player need some advice how to navigate a situation with my soon-to-be in-laws taking over any and every sporting event uh-oh background uh both my fiance and i are in our early 30s have been together almost five years lived together almost four getting married in the fall growing up my parents and two siblings are always big sports fans they closely follow college pro basketball and football along with baseball during the summer every night in our house some major sport was usually on tv this led to me being a bit of a stereotypical sports junkie i've played and followed team sports my entire life my fiance has a very different childhood she's an only child and her parents loosely follow the local nhl and nfl teams but it's more of an afterthought than a priority they're much more into live music and outdoor activities than anything team sport related while i played soccer basketball and baseball growing up my fiance did taekwondo rode four-wheelers and took guitar lessons okay (laughs) get it since we've been together i really appreciated my fiance's effort to share my love of sports i realize she will never be as passionate as i am but she does her best and i love her for it i even got her to the point where she was jumping up and down in front of the tv watching tennessee versus purdue we mentioned that on today's podcast (laughs) oh wait the sweet 16 not Mm. not the bowl game um a few years ago because she decided she loved Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams, though she has zero ties. So, wow. Odd. She likes bigs. Well, small bigs. Or, well, Grant's like a small big. Admiral's more perimeter-based, but Grant makes threes. Love now, Admiral so. Schofield. Love his game. You love, you love Admiral Schofield? Kind of a little bit of everything? Guy. Shout out to the, shout out to the magic, too. 
All right. Okay, man. So her parents are a different story. They're great people. I love them both. And I'm fortunate to be marrying another family, but they're not sports people. With most of my friends and family, there's an understanding that during an important sporting event, any unrelated conversations are saved for the commercial break so we can enjoy the game. This understanding is not shared by my fiance's parents. Um, Whenever they are over at our house, they constantly loudly talk over any game about real estate, the stock market, current events, and many various other things. It drives me insane. You would think the answer would be to not have them over during big sporting event weekends, but life doesn't always work out that way. Last year, they were over for the NFL Divisional Round Final Four in two NBA Finals games. Dude, why are they coming over for these things if they don't like <laughs> Seems like things? a simple solution. Here. Yeah. <laughs> don't marry her, obviously. <laughs> no. Um, all for reasons that were unavoidable. We have one uh, one small story house with only one living room with one TV. So there's no second TV to have a game on. I've talked to my fiance about it. She completely understands where I'm coming from, but neither of us know how to say anything without offending her parents. Whenever I try to play it out in my head, I always come back to the fact they just don't get sports. And I worry about them getting offended about being asked not to talk during something they don't care about watching. Is there any way to bring this up in a respectful manner that won't turn into some big issue? Or is this just a case where I should take it on the chin and deal with it? Um, they're going to be in my house for wildcard weekend. So we needed to get to this one urgently. I, I got to yeah. be honest, out of the jump, if you don't, all right, so you don't have a second room, you don't have a second TV, you're fucked. I, I don't really think there's going to be anything I can tell you. I don't think there's some magic combination of sentences and ease and eye contact and shoulder rubbing that's going to solve this. I just don't. I think you're. I think you either have to make the move to a situation where there's a second TV, which they're going to be annoyed by too. They're going to be offended. Yeah. They're going. They're not going to get that one either. Um, I have no solution to this one. Why do they have to keep coming over? I, I don't. They, yeah. they they're not that big of sports fans, but they want to come over for every sporting event. Just say know, like, hey, we're you know we're having friends over. Maybe they're Sunday people though, and they don't even like the fact that you're doing sporting events doesn't matter to them. It's like, are you kidding me? This is our Sunday deal. What do you mean? People that don't get it don't get it, so they're not right. going to get it. I mean, the only thing I thought of as we were talking this one out was for him to lie about maybe pursuing it as a profession because it used to happen with me a little bit. You know, like I'd be in a room and somebody would be you know, whatever. Like I remember right before I got started, I was, you know, I was staying at this, this little divey spot. My dad came by and was like, Hey, do you want to do something? I was like, no, what are you talking about? And he's like, what are you doing? I go, it's Saturday. I'm watching college football. He's like, do you, you don't want to go do anything? He's like, what time <laughs> do you want to? And I go, no, I go, the game start at 12 and be done at midnight. Watch Bradley Van Pelt, you know? And he was like, you don't want to, you're not going to do anything today. You're just going to sit here. And I was betting too, which I don't think he knew how much I was betting. But um, I was like, this is what I do, man. I was like, this is what I do. He was like, all right. <laughs> just looked, he's like, all right, cool. Enjoy. And that was, that was it. So the only thing I could tell you is, you know, maybe have your wife lie and say you're starting a sports podcast. And then, you know, when, when they're over, the mother-in-law could be like, oh, he's, he takes it very seriously. Yeah, He's, side hustle, dude. He loves the sports people on the sports machine. He He's very serious about his sports. Yeah, shh, don't talk now. The sports are happening. I don't think, I, you know, you're going to have to get a bigger house. That's it. That's all I can think of. So work harder. Get a bigger house. I would agree. I've used the excuse of, like, I have to watch this game that I don't really have to watch, like, a ton of times. A million um, times. And... Yeah. 
and it's easy to do it when you know you, you work in sports you work at espn because i'd be like sunday maddie be like oh you know we're doing this thing with my friends I'd be like oh yeah you know we got full slate of nfl red zone yeah sorry you, you kind of know the deal and she doesn't ask any questions so it's, it is a good like i don't think her parents are going to ask you any questions and you made the right point they're going to think you're ambitious for doing that so you could try but then they're going to be like hey where's the link to the pod i want to take a listen and then you're like oh shit so you might, they might not follow through they might not want to though you know yeah it's a risk they might, it's a big risk they might they might be like i'm not interested in his podcast you could be like i haven't released the episodes yet i'm still trying to hone my craft <laughs> yeah we're doing some run-throughs some mock-ups <laughs> Kyle, uh, I've been really trying to think about what what you could do, and I mean, is it like a pattern? Is it Sundays? Like when when they're say he said that he's misses. Well, I guess they're coming over this. It sounds like they're coming over Sundays, right? Well, um, it sounds like they're coming over this Saturday or Sunday. Hopefully, it's not both days. My God, I don't know. You give them a puzzle in the kitchen, <laughs> right? Clear off the table. Like, hey, did you guys see this new Taekwondo horse riding puzzle? It's amazing. How quick do you guys think you can solve it? Yeah, I'll time you. It's like telling your kids to play the quiet game so you can win. Maybe you might just have to go to a friend's house or something for like for every other one of these. Like maybe no, gonna, I think I, you're going to have to screwed. lose. He's screwed. She's an only child. Okay. So she's expecting all the attention. And then they couldn't imagine him not wanting to be with their only child because she's the best thing in the world to them. Like they think they're all supposed to hang all the time for all the stuff. Like you're you're marrying into this deal, and that's that's what's understood. So even though he's not doing anything wrong, they don't get it. The concept there is a yeah. disconnect. And if you try to bridge it by, hey, do you guys mind not talking about the stock market during a wild card game? They're gonna think you're the biggest asshole ever, even though you're not. That's what they're gonna think of you. So our man, that's what I said. The only solution is eventually at some point having more rooms. That's it. Right. But then you're still going to be a dick because then you're going to be the guy in the separate room. Uh, and the problem is you can't hide behind her either. Even though she's on your side, which is great, you can't be like, hey, talk to your parents. Tell them to like not come over and stop talking so much because they're not they're going to be like, she doesn't even like sports that much. It's just him. So it's always going to be you know, the blame is going to come back on you. So there really is no win here other than you starting a fake sports podcast. If they're into plays, maybe you go to a play together and you turn and talk to them during the <laughs> entire play. Yeah, but like, hey, do you see that stuff? You see Biden? recent proposal what do you guys make what do you guys make of that like hey that inflation report was pretty good news huh and they're just looking at you and then at the end go see what it's like mm. but they i mean you can't tell these these parents hey your little observation and quips about current events during a third down you gotta stop fucking doing it there's you no way do it anymore there's, there's no you way can't, yeah. this sucks so, this really sucks it does suck it's a bigger deal and that's why we read that one great pick yep. by kyle Okay, let's get back to the dating game because we're super helpful in that one. All right. Uh, five, five, 190, bench 265, back squat 365, deadlift 425. Sumo, dude. Uh, amateur rugby player. Oh, definitely not sumo. All right. I met a girl. Let's call her new girl. Okay. On Bumble. She's 30. I'm 34. What's up? Uh, we've been on two dates. She's even slept over already. Whoa, dude. Hey. Must have been those deadlift numbers she's great i like her very much want to keep seeing her my issues is that i went on a date with her younger sister 29 about a year and a half ago and she doesn't know the sister and i were set up through a mutual friend we only went on one date did not hook up only a hug at the end well all right cool i love that he included only a hug at the end 
But I think it actually is important. So thank you. I think you. that's like the bare minimum of goodbyes on a date, but I don't know. Yeah, that's 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 pretty... if you made it to the end, but there's nothing else after that. That's basically what that is. Have you guys not made it to the end of a date? No, I, I have never exited early, but I know people who have, and I'm sure you're not getting a hug on the way out. I don't think so. I don't think I've exited early. That's you've never had actually to me. Yeah, yeah. You've never had somebody go like, "No, I'm <laughs> I'm leaving." I couldn't see. So I could see Kyle leaving, not someone leaving Kyle. Kyle just be like, "I can't," you know, not for me. Let's just go our separate ways. Yeah, I finished out some horrible dates. I've never left. Good for you. I once spilled all the drinks on the table on my date twice. Finished it oh, out. God. Same date. Same date. Replenished everything. All right, take First a deep. Date. Take a deep breath and share this one with us. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, I was. Uh, I spilled two drinks. Where were her. you? What was going on? How old? I was, was at Pizzeria kid? Uno. I was a young lad. Pizzeria <laughs> Uno. I was in high school, and. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I was jittery, a little nervous. I'm not sure what happened. It was kind of a wobbly table and I spilled the drinks and it was like, oh my God, my life is over. But then like we kind of, we kind of got it back and she's still damp and whatever. But you know, the waiters <laughs> came back and replaced everything. And then I think I was getting up or something and I like unbalanced the table and they went, look at me. I just did it right now. And they went all over her again and it was like towards like this has to be a joke this is the truman show i'm in the simulation there's no way i spilled my all the drinks on this table on her twice and we ended up dating for like a year or two after that <laughs> <laughs> finished it out i think Ooh. i was like 16. did you have a car or something what I... <laughs> no no i was just a i think i was just a funny guy situationally so i think that was enough so it was just it was just you two on the date, at or pizza, there are other people. No, no. And how many? So we're talking all the waters and sodas on the table landed on her twice. Yeah, I mean it's a mix. I mean I didn't all like pinpoint exactly on her, but I didn't get any of it. You know, and she yeah. got. If, if Did you know her who before got this? It. Was this how 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 was the date set up? Do you ask her out? Kind of like a family friend sort of deal. Um, okay. Did you guys yeah. go to the same school? No. Okay. No, we didn't. So it was kind of. Kind of blindy. Okay. Yeah. I used to love hearing about dudes dating other girls from a different school. That was legendary. But then I moved to the vineyard and there was no, there was no other That's school. True. There was no hope was, for that. Yeah. There was no, I think my senior year there, you know what? This is a little too long ago. We're going to leave all this stuff alone. <laughs> all right. Um, okay. So back to our guy. Sorry. Hug. Does this spill any drinks on her? The, they made plans for a second date. New girl's sister. Uh, but the sister stood him up. I figured she wasn't interested and did not pursue her beyond that. My question is, when do I tell the new girl, if at all, about all of this? I do not think it's a big deal at all. I believe it's a pretty funny little story. Mm, maybe you do. Okay. Um, the new girl and the sister seem to be pretty close. The new girl talks about her sister often. She even told a story about her sister uh, that the sister had told me. LOL. Oh, her, so. her, her sister who's one year younger than her seemed close. Stunning. Yeah. revelation there extra info i suspected that the new girl looked familiar when matched i brought this up to the mutual friend uh before even going on her first date and she told me the new girl is the sibling of the one that she'd set me up with mutual friend is a bit unhappy um that the younger sister stood me up she wants me to ride this out not say anything and get myself invited to some kind of family function of theirs 
Well, I think that idea is pretty funny. I recognize it's a bad idea if I want this to go anywhere with a new girl. All right. So your instincts are right in the last part. Your friend that set you up with the younger sister initially that thinks like it's lame that she stood you up. People stand people up. All right. You can handle it better. Some people just bad at it. Whatever. Um, the whole like, hey, get invited to something. Is it see what like, happens? That's about <laughs> the friend wanting to get back at the younger sister. If you like the 30 year old <laughs> new girl, older sister, don't do that. Because that's super fucked up. Because if it ever came out, it's like, yeah, I actually did go on a date with your younger sister. I never told you. And ta-da, like, where are the starters? That's just not going to go over well. Um, so I would, I don't think I, I mean, you kind of can't, this one's tough. Because it's really about her personality. It's not going to be about your strategy at all. Right. Like your strategy is irrelevant to this. It's mm -hmm. only about how she will react to the situation. She will one think it's funny that you had food with her younger sister a year and a half ago, or she'll be like, it's weird and it's creepy and I don't want to do that. So because you're five, five, I'm thinking maybe ride this out for a bit and just see where it goes. I think that these sisters are, I mean, one of them's on Bumble. The other one's getting set up on dates. They're just fresh out of their 20s. There's no way these girls haven't slept with the same guy at some point. So, Whoa, I mean, I think, Kyle. I think, I think, <laughs> I think that it she would barely bat an eyelash. Obviously, I think it, it would be a, a topic conversation, but I don't think she would think it's weird. I mean, they sounds like they're in the same town even. Like, come on. There's no way that, like, that this hasn't happened, at least on, on your level, if not on a higher level of, like, actually stuff going down. Oh, come see, on. I disagree. I, I feel like, I think exactly what Ryan said. I don't think there's anything you can do to make the new girl make it okay for the new girl. She's either going to be down with it or she's not going to be down with it. And I don't know what right. you can do to probably change that. Um, and, you know, because it's one of those things where if she's like, oh, if my sister rejected you, then how could I date you? Like, that, does that mean I'm lesser than my sister? I don't know. That's That could be going through her head and there's literally nothing you can do. So I don't know if she'd be cool with it, dude. How do you know who her sister is? Like, like, how would how would she know that you know who her sister is? You could totally feign ignorance until you're like, whoa, wow. You know what I mean? Like, how would she know that you knew and didn't tell her until you actually were in the same room with her sister? I think that's a good policy. The mind of Kyle. It's a great just point. Play dumb. You can just play dumb the entire time once it gets exposed, because if it ends up becoming serious, it's going to get exposed unless the sister, the younger sister that you went on the date with is like, hey, just so you know, I'm not going to say anything to my sister because she's insane. And she's going to get so mad. And then you're like, mm -hmm. cool, I can't wait to date her, you know? So there's a lot of, a lot of problems for this one. I would, you know, you could, you could jump the gun now and say, Hey, I just want to get this out of the way. Where's and then the upside? Where's right, the upside? And then it's, right. And, but then it sucks for you too, because then she could be like, Hey, relax. It was just a date. Why did you think you had to tell me this like significant thing? Like, I don't care. That's not, like, you have no idea. You have no idea until you get to know her better about this whole deal. Um, I would say slow play this one, but not in a devious fashion. I would just say slow play it. And, you know, Kyle's advice, you could play dumb, but that means you're just lying again too. Um, I would slow play it until you go, hey, you know, I've had this realization, but I, I wouldn't like go out of my way to go to some family event or some gathering to be like, hey, look at me. Remember me? Here's the, are you guys friends on Instagram? Probably yes. So it'd be really easy to see a picture of her or her sister. And it'd be hard to play dumb, I guess, if you're like, you know, it depends on how much social media interaction you guys have and how much, you know, if you follow each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. I'd say wait till you're in a room. Tell her after. <laughs> wait until you're in a room? What do yeah, you mean? Yeah, wait, wait until you're in a room with her and her sister 
uh, for the first time. And then later when you, when you and her are alone, you and the girl that you're dating now are alone, you just be like, Hey, I think I went on a date with her like two years ago or something. Maybe it'll be another year from now before that even happens. But then it's like, then you're being honest with her once you realize, and then you'll, you know, if her sister's the type of person that'll be like, Holy shit, that guy, you know, then you've already, then it's like, you're, you're not caught and have to say something. It's good. It's, it's, it's a good, good omission, lying by omission, which isn't really as bad as lying, as we all know. Well said, Kyle. Well said. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Thank you to Steve and Kyle, as always. And we'll be back on Friday. Please subscribe. <laughs>